This is episode 119 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are Finding Your Way Home, Will You Make It? Hot Enough For You, 17 Tips For Staying Cool When It's Hotter Than Hell Outside, and The Easiest Way to Make Your Own Yeast. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily aggregator of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, let's go ahead and just jump in and get started today. Our first article comes to us from American Preppers Online. And again, the title is Finding Your Way Home, Will You Make It? Hello, my friends, and welcome back. Many people have to travel out of town for work, and with modern-day electronic gadgets, it's pretty easy. But what if those gadgets suddenly didn't work? Would you know how to get home in an SHTF situation? This is the subject of today's post, so grab a cup of coffee and have a seat while we visit. Modern-day GPS is great, but unfortunately, many people are becoming dependent on them to get back if stuck away from home. While there is nothing wrong with using a GPS or having them in your preps at all, you must know how to navigate without them should you need to. A single EMP device could take them all out and leave you stuck out of town with no real idea of how to get home. You need to carry a compass. Of course, if you don't know how to use one of them, you will really have troubles. Every true prepper should know how to use a compass and a map to navigate where they need to go. Take the time and learn now. Being caught out of town without transportation and no way to navigate is every prepper's nightmare. Of course, there are many other ways to navigate back home. If you have a map, then you could use the street signs to navigate back home. Of course, that's assuming you want to travel on a road. If the event of an EMP or other such devastating disaster, the roads will be the last place you should be. In such an event, all of the unprepared and the repressed criminals in society will be on the roads hoping to find what they need and taking it by force if necessary. These rapists, murderers, and a few that are just plain crazy with fear, thirst, and hunger. Avoid the roads at all costs if possible. There will only be two kinds of people on the road. Opportunists and victims, and you don't want to be either. So how else could you travel home if you can't use the roads? My next choice would be to find a railroad track headed in the direction I needed to go and walk it. It would provide you with a flat place to walk with no obstruction and because most railroad tracks are surrounded by forests, you would be able to hunt for food along the way. Your chances of running into other traveling on the railroad tracks are much less than that of traveling on a road. Okay, let's say you're on foot, the roads are full of people and you're not comfortable traveling the railroad tracks. So what other options are there? One of the main forms of transportation that many settlers used and many people won't think of is traveling the rivers in a boat. Simply use a map to locate a river that is headed in your direction and grab an unused boat and head downstream. No one will be able to get close to you without you knowing it and you can fish for food along the way. There are also lots of edible plants that grow along the banks of most rivers. The only drawbacks that I can see for this mode of travel will be passing under bridges. This would become very dangerous as time went on. A large brick dropped from a bridge would sink many boats and then you would also be a sitting duck for anyone with a gun who decides they want what you have. Its only advantage is that it would be safer than walking on a road. Your only two other options would be to cut across the backcountry on foot or horseback to get home and try to avoid others along the way. 
In fact, this may be the safest way to travel after SHTF. When SHTF hits and if cars are no longer working, we will have a choice, have no choice but to return to the ways of our ancestors and use horse and wagons. People who have never ridden a long, ridden a long ride on a horse may think it sounds like fun. Trust me, it's not. So, what can you do now to improve your chances of getting home safely if caught out of town when it all goes wrong? The most important thing is to keep a get-home bag with, all, with you at all times. Keep it packed with food and water containers and water purifiers. These are a must. Be sure to have maps that cover the entire area between home and where you are going. Many people use an atlas for this. You want, you want one which shows the train tracks, rivers, and streams as well as topographical information if possible. Your get-home bag should also include several pairs of good thick socks as well as some moleskin for any blisters you may get. Don't forget a good fixed blade knife as well as tools for building a fire. Whenever the world falls apart, there will be people caught away from home, and if you are one of those, your chance to improve your ability to get home safely will depend on what you do now. Take the time to plan for worst-case scenarios and you will be ready for whatever comes your way. Well, that's it for today, and I hope you've enjoyed this post. So until next time, stay safe, stay strong, and stay prepared. God bless America. All right, so um, in the comment section, someone, uh, so Doug says, that walking the railroad tracks might be advantageous in some parts of the country, but in the Midwest, railroad tracks are, ele railroad tracks are elevated. I, I want to make sure I don't sound like Elmer Fudd there. Railroad tracks are elevated above the farm fields and have towns spaced every 5 to 10 miles in some cases. Throw in any pinch points like bridges and tunnels, you have one dangerous route. Um, someone said, um, power line trails are clear straight paths and occasionally have paved right-of-way trails. And they, uh, they have a link here to uh, pedestrians.org, topics, rowgallery.htm. Uh, you, you know, it would be worth it to go check those out and see if that might be something that you you want to uh, you want to go and and uh, maybe make note of, or maybe you want to you know take some um, take some uh, notes or whatever on those. So go check that out at American Preppers Online. Uh, the only thing that I would have said here is uh, maybe did a small rundown of uh, of using a compass, maybe even linking to some videos. Uh, for someone who doesn't know how to use a compass and maybe needs to brush up on it. Uh, I'm going to link to the, the tag cloud, to the compass tag cloud on Prepper website. We've posted a lot of videos and, and articles and stuff like that on uh, using a compass. So if uh, that's something you might be interested in, uh, go for it. Uh, I want to link to that. So you'll see it in the show notes and you'll see it over on episode 119 of the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Uh, all right, so good one there. And uh, again, that link that link in uh, the comment section for the pedestrians uh, or the power lines, I'm sorry, uh, that might be worth it to go check that out. All right. Our next article comes to us from uh, the Survival Mom. Uh, and this is an older post, but she, um, you know, you always update them and stuff like that. So uh, it is one that's relevant right now as we're right in the middle of summer and uh, it is hot. I don't know if it's hot where you're at, but I know it's hot here in Texas. It sucks. And uh, some of them, um, I think I was reading, oh man, I can't remember where exactly I was reading, but there were like temperatures of 105 and it was very, it was at a place uh, up north 
Uh, I want to say Northwest, but I'm not sure uh, that uh, they don't normally have ACs. And so they're dealing with 105 degree temperatures. And uh, I mean, that's, that's, that's where people can get hurt, right? I mean, people can die and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, it would be a good idea to have, uh, you know, some good ideas of what to do when it gets that hot. And so uh, I want to go ahead and read this article. It's uh, 17 tips to stay cool when it's hotter than hell outside. So let's go ahead and, and get to this. Hopefully, um, you know, some of these might not be new to you, but maybe a few of them are. And so you can kind of uh, start using those maybe in your um you know, in the way that you keep cool. All right, here we go. One of the most critical uses of electricity is staying cool in very hot weather. Our bodies can become quickly overheated with young children and the elderly being most susceptible. Susceptible, sorry. I was in Chicago during one of its worst heat waves in 1995. Employees of the Hyatt Hotel where I was staying had to stand on the roof and hose down giant air conditioning units with water in order to keep them running. In a matter of days, more than 700 people died because of this heat wave. How did our ancestors survive then without air conditioning? I've spent my entire life in the American Southwest, and as you might expect, I have a few tricks up my sleeve when it comes to staying cool. Number one, keep strip. I'm not going to read uh, 1 through 17, but I'll just start off with number one. Keep spray bottles of water around and spritz faces and wrists to stay cool. In the earliest morning hours, open windows to let in all that cool air. Be sure to close them again, along with all blinds and curtains, once the day begins to heat up. Just before bedtime, spray bed sheets with plenty of water. Aim a battery-powered fan towards your side of the bed. Jump in and go to sleep quickly. Hey, uh, I know that recently we uh, mentioned someone who does, uh, like they put their top sheet in uh in a freezer like if you have space like in a deep freezer uh put their they put it in there for like you know 20 15 20 30 minutes and then when they go to bed they have that cold sheet right on top of them um all right continuing on wear bathing suits around the house uh continue on if you'll be outside wet a bandana place a few ice cubes down the center diag diagonally roll it up and tie it around your neck there are commercial products that do the same job, like this one, if you don't have ice or it gets too messy. I do recommend when we first went up to the country, and we still have them up there, um, those, um, I guess they have like a little gel pack inside of them. Uh, you just wet them, uh, soak them for about a minute, and they're cool. Uh, we even we even bought some vests um, where you, you soak the whole vest in there and put it on. And that helped. Uh, it, it, you know, it it helped as much as possible. Uh, I think you need to be like in a in a drier environment, and you know, it's still humid uh, up in the up in the country for us. Uh, but it did it did help a little bit. So that might be something that you uh, you might be interested in. Um, continuing on, check doors and windows for incoming warm air, and install weather stripping if necessary. This will do double duty in the winter when cold air is the enemy. Duct tape can be substituted for weather stripping if you're desperate. Check the western exposure of your home. If you have windows that face west, check into inexpensive blinds from Home Depot or Lowe's. Even aluminum foil taped over your windows can help keep your home cooler, as will sheets of bubble wrap. 
If you need to do outside chores, do them in the morning when the sun rises or even earlier. Take frequent breaks. Get plenty of water. If you must, douse your naked body with water and stand in front of a battery-operated fan. Stock up on these fans and make sure you have plenty of batteries and please close the blinds. There, they have those, um, and I know that we've talked about them before, those fans that uh, you can plug into uh, a USB charger. So if you have those chargers that will charge your phone and different things like that, um, there's some. They're making some now that are really big, and so you can uh, connect those to to that and uh, have a. If you don't have a battery powered fan, you can use that. Okay. Um, take a slightly warm bath as long as there is water in the hot water heater. It will lower your body temperature, making you feel cooler longer once you get out of the tub. Drink those eight glasses of water per day and make sure every family mem member remains hydrated as well. This is particularly important for babies, toddlers, the elderly, and anyone with chronic health issues. Plant fast-growing shade trees, particularly on the west side of your home. If they provide shade for outside windows, so much the better. Shade equals cool. Ask a local nursery with well-trained employees what shade plant trees grow the fastest in your region. Most of the hot air that enters your home comes through the windows. Thermal curtains may be the solution if your home has lots of windows. If that's not an option, try using pushpins to hang blankets over each window. If you long to be outdoors, fill a kiddie pool with water, sit down and relax. Be sure to wear sunscreen. When the water gets too warm to enjoy, use it to water the plants. Don't overexert yourself. Avoid working up a sweat. If possible, save physical labor for the coolest parts of the day. Take a lesson from desert animals. They rest in the shade or underground during the day and come up at night. Fill a tub with a few inches of water and dangle your feet in it while you read a book. And then cover furniture with cool cotton sheets. Here's a tip. Because water is so essential when it's hot, make sure you have plenty on hand. Uh, read about the various ways to store water. My friend Debbie is, a fanta is fantastic about keeping her electric, electric bill as low as possible. In the summer, and she follows many of the tips above, right around lunchtime when the most intense heat is on its way, she and her kids head for cooler locations, the public library, movie theaters, mall, or a friend's house, public swimming pools, etc. And then there's uh, just to kind of end it out, or in the article out, there is uh, be aware of the signs of heat stroke, strong rapid pulse, ele elevated body temperatures, excessive thirst, hot dry skin, dilated pupils, dizziness, nausea and vomiting, headaches, confusion, seizures, and then stay cool. All right. Um, so then, you know, there's like 26 um, comments here, so you can go check those out. Uh, there'll be some good stuff there that you might be able to use. Um, the thing is, okay, so if you, let, let me do a couple of things. If you are, if, if the power is on, right, so uh, we haven't had a grid down situation, EMP, none of that stuff. Uh, it's just hot and you are, um, you know, you're trying to stay cool. And maybe one of the reasons why you're not wanting to run your AC if you have one is because um, it just costs so much. I talked with uh, one of my neighbors uh, a while back, and they were paying like a, a, an enormous amount per kilowatt hour. If you have never gone to uh, or to check that out or try to negotiate a better deal, you need to try to do that. 
Um, I know I have always gone to a website called powertochoose.org. Again, that's powertochoose.org. I'll put that in the, in the links. But what you do is you go, you put your address in there, and then it, or I'm not sorry, not your address, your zip code, and it will give you all the power companies in your zip code that service your area. And for the most part, all the lines are maintained, like here in, in Houston, uh, Centerpoint Energy uh, maintains all the lines. I mean, it's their lines. Um, all the people who run electricity or, uh, you know, they're basically their brokers. So they're brokering uh, power and then they sell it back. They sell it to you. It's all the same lines. It just depends on, you know, the deals that they get. And uh, But you can lock in really good deals. And so if you've never, ever done that to save a little bit of money, you might want to go look to, look at powertochoose.org. Uh, if not, if you've never done that, you're probably leaving some money on the table and uh, you don't have to do that. You can turn, maybe you feel a little bit more comfortable turning your uh, AC down a few degrees uh, and, and keeping a little bit cooler there. The other thing is if if um, the grid does go down, like right, if we the power grid goes down, we have EMP, CME, so whatever, um, you know, life is going to get totally, you know, our homes that we have nowadays, they're built so tight and uh, they don't allow for, you know, breathing is what you hear uh, people say. And um, homes were built with like uh, with with runs where you could open up the door. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but you open up like the back door, you open up the front door and then, uh, you know, you feel a breeze. And uh, there definitely is that you know, that, that aspect to it. And so the older homes were built like that. Older homes were, were built with big porches. And so you would go out and, you know, in the heat of the day, you wouldn't stay inside. You'd stay outside on the porch. You'd still be, you know, in, you would be in the shade because you would be under the patio or uh, the porch cover or whatever, but you'd be out there in a rocking chair or, or whatever on a swing and you wouldn't necessarily be inside. Um, so that might be something that if, uh, you know, kind of keep in the back of your mind, if things go go south ever, that uh, you want to have a place outside to go and, and chill under the shade and, um, you know, not to spend your, your daytime inside. I mean, you know, because, um, <coughs> excuse me, heat temperatures can, uh, can heat up really fast in your home. Uh, those kinds of things. Don't, uh, I know it's not covered in here, but if you're trying to stay or keep your home cool, don't use the oven. The oven will put out a lot of heat. You know, uh, if, if you can cook, eat cool things. Uh, if you need to cook, if you can use, do it on the barbecue grill or you have a, you know, a camping stove, you can go outside and cook and maybe, you know, uh, save some degrees out there. But a lot of things that you can do uh, if, if that's the case. I just think that we have got, become accustomed to um, being in AC environments. And so if um, if the grid ever went down and it was really hot, uh, I think eventually our bodies would um, you would either have to get used to it or, you know, you would you would suffer. And I think that, you know, that's one thing being down here, down in the south. If that ever was to happen, that's why they say like what, 80, 90 percent of the population dies if there's an EMP or a grid down situation. 
Uh, there's going to be a lot of factors, but you know that's going to play into it as well. People are just going to die from from heat exhaustion. You throw that into the fact. You throw that on top of uh, people don't have water to to hydrate themselves. So you think of a grid down situation. You're hot, you, and then on top of that, you don't have water. Uh, you know, you don't have cool water. Yeah, I mean, that you, you're looking at some serious situations there. But um, finding some ways to stay cool. Again, those rags, um, those little. Uh, things you put around your neck. I think those are very, very useful. I think you should invest in uh, four or five dollars. If you don't get them off of Amazon, I think when we bought them, I mean, this is years ago, and we still have them up there. We still, like I said, we still use them. Uh, I think they were like four or five dollars at a, uh, at Walmart, you know. And so, uh, sporting goods stores sell them as well, and so it might be a good investment for you. That's uh, the survivalmom.com, uh, and there are links here that you'll want to go check out. All right, our last article of the day um, is coming to us from Homestead Survival Site. And uh, this is one I, I don't believe we've ever talked about on the podcast yet in uh, 119 episodes. It's the easiest way to make your own yeast. And uh, specifically, we're going to be talking about sourdough starters, uh, something that I've been uh, wanting to play with uh, on my own. I haven't tried to make yeast yet. Maybe with the encouragement of this article, I might I might do that. Uh, but uh, or I haven't. You know, there's not anybody that I know that makes sourdough uh, that would share a starter with me. But uh, I don't know. This is this is something that I have been interested in. And um, you know, go ahead and, and go from here. Now, this is not going to tell you how to make the sourdough bread. It is going to walk you through how to make uh, the starter though and the yeast and get it going. So let's go ahead and read this, homesteadsurvivalsite.com. There are many ways to make your own yeast, but arguably the easiest way is to grow a sourdough starter. To do this, all you have to do is capture wild yeast using flour and water. Though there are other methods that are fairly easy, I recommend this method for a couple of reasons. First, it involves basic ingredients that everyone already has on hand, flour and water. You can start your yeast today and not have to run to the store. Second, wheat for the flour can be grown on the homestead for those looking to be as self-sufficient as possible. It's also a proven method that has been used for thousands of years. Sound good? Here's what you'll need to get started. Flour. Any unbleached wheat-type flour will do except self-rising as it has baking soda added to it. You can use all-purpose bread flour, whole wheat, or rye. Water. It is important that the water is non-chlorinated as chlorine will kill wild yeast. A large jar or container. For your jar and stirring device, use non-reactive materials like stainless steel, glass, or plastic. A spoon or stirring device. Clean cloth or coffee filter and a rubber band or string. So I... uh, I think maybe that uh, sentence was <laughs> out of uh, uh, somehow got out of uh, order here. That clean cloth or coffee filter, rubber band or string. I think that's that's another piece of the supply that you should have. Um, actually, I did that when I would make my kombucha. Um, just have a a clean cloth and a rubber band. But uh, a spoon or a stirring device, and, and the same thing applies here. You want to use something that is not going to be uh, non non reactive, so you know, like a uh, a metal, steel, stainless steel, um, 
or plastic uh, spoon, I guess. Um, anyway, so I'm kind of shooting in the dark there because, uh, like I said, I think it's kind of out of order here. Anyway, um, instructions. In a large glass container, mix half cup of water and three-fourths cup of any wheat-type flour. Stir well, ensuring there's no dry flour. Cover with a breathable but fly-proof lid. A small piece of clean cloth or a coffee filter and a string or a rubber band should suffice. So that's where that, uh, that, that piece goes right there. You can leave your container on your counter. It will work better if it's kept between 70 and 85 degrees Fahrenheit. After 12 to 24 hours, you should start to see bubbles. You should also begin feeding your starter at the 24-hour mark. To feed your starter, take out half of it before adding another half cup of water and three-fourths cup of flour. Then begin repeating this feeding process every 12 hours. Don't worry, you don't have to waste the removed half. It can be used to make bread or given to a friend to start their own. It will store in the fridge for several days. After five to seven days, it should rise until doubled between feedings and have a distinct sourdough smell. At this point, you can start using it to make sourdough. Although feed it before using and leave at least one cup of starter to ensure you don't have to repeat the process. Different recipes will require different amounts of starter. If at any time you notice an off-smell mold or pinkish color, discard your starter and try again. The starter may darken, but it should look moldy and should only smell like sourdough. After you, your starter is established, you can also store it in the refrigerator with a tight lid. The cool temperatures slow down the yeast and therefore it won't need as much food if stored in the fridge. You should feed it about once a week and let it rest on the counter for about two hours each time you feed it. If you know you can't take care of your starter for an extended period, you may choose to dry it. First, feed your starter and let it stir until it's good and bubbly. Then spread it in a thin layer on a parchment paper, covered cookie sheets, or dehydrator rack. Then let it dry at room temperature. Once it's completely dry and brittle, you can break it up and store it in an airtight container. The drying process can take up to five days. To rehydrate your starter and begin using it again, you can soak each one-third cup of dried sourdough piece and one-fourth cup of water until the pieces are fully dissolved. This may take several hours with occasional stirring. When it's all dissolved, begin feeding it every 12 hours without discarding any until your starter has begun to bubble and rise again. Then you can resume normal feeding and usage. This no-nonsense method of capturing wild yeast can provide you with delicious bread and increased self-sufficiency. Keeping a sourdough starter in your kitchen for the flavor, practically, and rich heritage. So, um... Anyway, you can see it's pretty easy. You just need to kind of stay on top of it. Um, you know, after 24 hours, you're doing it every 12 hours for five to seven days uh, until, you know, it, it doubles in its size and then you can kind of go from there. Uh, I know that people, you know, often share starters and there's some starters that have been around for a long, long time. Uh, I never heard the piece about dehydrating your starter. Uh, that that was new. I've never heard that in all the, the years that I have uh, read articles on yeast and starters and all that kind of stuff uh, or wild yeast. Never heard that part. Um, the spoon, again, the spoons, it doesn't say specific. Uh, and like I said, I'm not a 
sourdough starter or bread maker expert here, but I'm thinking if you're going to use a, a large jar or you know glass or stainless steel container, I think you want to use uh, or non-reactive. I think you want to use the same thing for a spoon or stirring device. Um, you know something to consider there. Um, you know plastic. You know pl I think plastic would just be fine if you do that. I would love to start doing a starter. Um, maybe I need to to just do it and and uh, bite the bullet and start doing it. Um, I'd like to have some bread. You know, I'm really really trying to pay attention. I mean, I'm really trying to be a little bit more health conscious of what I'm eating. I'm trying to eat more fresh fruits and vegetables. You know, we're blessed as a nation because we get so many imports here, uh, and so. Uh, you know, we we you can go to the store at any time and have all kinds of fruit, and so uh, I'm trying to eat more fresh fruits and vegetables, and then watching what I'm putting in my in my in my mouth in my stomach. You know, uh, there's so much crap that goes in there. You buy a loaf of bread; it's so convenient to go buy a loaf of bread at the at the store, but all the junk that they put inside of the, you know of it to keep it, uh, you know, to keep to keep it soft and smelling good and all that kind of stuff and you know with simple little ingredients you can do that and who knows what uh you know how you can start to change how your body feels and how your body reacts and uh you know uh, how important it is i really truly believe and you know have this conversation with a lot of people that um you know, the food that we eat has a lot to do with how we feel with obesity rates with uh, sicknesses and things that we're dealing with. Uh, not all of it, but I think a lot of it does. And uh, we have a generation, you know, maybe uh, my kid's generation, uh, maybe the generation right before that, just a, uh, you know, just a little bit uh, older, who just grew up on, on McDonald's and processed foods and stuff like that. I mean, I was lucky. Um, I'm a more of the Generation X uh, you know, I guess Generation X um, uh, age group, but my mom did a lot of cooking at home, and so didn't eat a lot of the fast food. It wasn't until I got older that you know started eating the fast food, and it's convenient, tastes good, and all that kind of stuff, but it's freaking bad for you, man. And so uh, you know, if you're dealing with with any kind of uh, health issues, you know, that might be one of the things you you want to start looking at. What are you eating? What are you putting in your body? If you started stop cutting out some some of those things, what would you know? See how your body responds and it re, how how it reacts. So anyway, um, good articles, uh, a few you know different takes here uh, on it. Again, I'm going to link to that um, to the Compass Tag Cloud on Prepper website, and uh, hopefully that will be interesting for you that you'll be able to do that. All right, so uh, with that. Choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.